Okay, good. Welcome, everyone. Parshas Tetzave, Tough Shin Pei Dalad, 2024. Welcome, everyone. I'm sorry I didn't mute you. Um, I can't figure out how to do it on the screen. If you wish to mute yourself, feel free. If not, just try to keep quiet. Okay. Um, Parshas Tetzave talks about and discusses all of the um, garments that the Kohen and Kohen Gadol, Kohen Gadol, were the high priest and all the rest of the priests. Okay? Um, they don't know how many garments they were. You, you show your hands if you're not, if you're muted. Um, if you're not muted, you get screamed. Eight, very good. Vivian, eight. That was the Kohen Gadol, the Kohen, the regular Kohen. Can you the mute us? Our... The screen. And the regular Kohen were four. Okay. That was the basic um, synopsis of the Parsha, of the Torah reading this week. Now, I, the only thing I skipped was basically the, the bookends, the beginning and the end. The beginning talks about the oil for the menorah. And the end talks about some of the carbonos, some of the sacrifices that they did right in the beginning. And it talks about the Mizbeach itself, the Mizbeach um, HaKataras, the inside small Mizbeach. And that's it, basically. That's the whole version. Okay, good. We are done. Now I can go watch my baby. Okay. Have a wonderful night, everyone. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, eight garments, okay? There's an interesting passage. I'm just trying to find it. It's in chapter 28, verse 4, okay? So, Vivian, you have it, and you're going to count, okay? And you're going to see if you are correct in your number or not. So, I don't know. I don't have my art scroll English blue one, but it's Chav Ches Dalet. Um, I don't know what page it is. It says, Ve'ela HaBagadim, and these are the Garments. I'm gonna try to read it in English because these are the vestments, vestments, okay? That they shall make. Now we're gonna count, okay? A breastplate, choshen, one. A which in English they translate as an a because we don't know what it is. It's an it's some sort of apron. We loosely translate as an apron, a rope, a tunic of box-like knit, a turban, and a sash. Now, Steve, since you passed fourth grade, that is how much? How many? That's six, okay? So, Vivian, what happened to the other two? Am I missing? Oh, so Vivian's a big scholar, and she knows that the Pesach is missing a few. So there's another, the seventh one is the tzitz, which is the head, the head plate, I guess you would call it, and the, the hat we said, and the eighth one is the pants. I think the turban we said. Turban, a turban and a sash. Turban is in the Pesach, and the pants are missing. Okay? So Sometimes people forget the pants at home, but not in the Mesa Mekdash. 
And Mrs. Mignon says, no, I'm afraid the pants at home. You have to wear the pants. So the question is fairly obvious. Someone asked me this last year, in the middle of the Torah reading, or in between the different aliyah, someone says, how come there's only six? What happened to the other two? And I was stumped until I found the answer. But I'm not going to share the answer with you because I want you to do a little bit of research. Why would the other two be missing? So try to do some research before Shabbos. Maybe you'll have something to say over at a Shabbos meal or maybe just something to think about. What happened to the other two? Okay. They were, Either way. Rabbi, they, were they the pants? And then you named another one that's missing. Pants. It's called the sits, which is the head plate. You've seen, I'm sure everyone here has seen some sort of picture of the coin. Wish I had a picture book here. Um, I might actually. I might actually have one. Yeah. It's not going to come out well on the camera, but if you can see. Not really. One second. That's, yeah, that, that, that guy. It's kind of a it's kind of a side view, and it went right on his head over here. If you can see that, either way, that was the the. If anyone has a new art school homage in the back, they have like I'm not advertising for art school, but in the back of the new ones, they have a color beautiful color pictures. It's very very uh, well done. So any any art school homage that was printed in the last two to three years, I believe. Anyways, so those are the those are the eight. Okay, so we're not really going to get involved in that. In those, except we're going to focus a little bit on the choshen. Choshen was the breastplate. The breastplate is the, probably one of the most famous iconic um, um, parts of the Kohen Gadol. That was the plate that he wore on his chest. It had the twelve stones on them. It was made out of gold, and the stones were all. Um, put in the, the, the beautiful gemstones, and there was something very unique about that breastplate. Does anyone know what was unique about it? it had some unique, um, I would I, I hate to say the word powers, but some unique uh, capabilities that it was able to do. Anyone familiar? It spoke. It answered the questions that were put yeah. to it. Ah, very good. So it they did lit up. quite. Exactly. It didn't quite speak, but it lit up. The lit letters, up. someone would ask a question. It was primarily used for big, important things like whether or not the Jewish people should go to war or should stay home, etc. things like that. In fact, the only way a, a, a Jewish army in the times of the temple was able to go to war is after asking the Urim Betumim. The, the Urim Betumim literally was a a piece of parchment that was placed into the fold of the behind the breastplate right. and that was basically the power so to speak and we'll get to that later on exactly what that is but that's something that we have to bear in mind and we're gonna talk about that later but that was the special thing it lit up and that's really why it's called urim urim means like lights so it lit up in hebrew r is a light Rim can be mm -hmm. like pearl light. For light. Okay. Anyways, so now let's go all the way back to the beginning of the parasha, chapter twenty-seven, verse twenty. Okay. And now we're gonna go to um, 
the real uh now we are going to get to the real meat and potatoes of the plot. Um okay. It says that this week's Torah portion, Torah reading starts like this. And you. Okay, who is you? God is talking to Moshe. Okay. Rarely does the Torah call Moshe you. Almost always. I'm just going to. I need someone else. I'm trying to figure it out. Here. Okay. Just ask for the music. If you could just mute yourself, if that's okay. Because I'm I'm able to hear all your background noise. Is that okay? Yeah, or just be very quiet. Either way. Anyways, so basically, um, it says, and you. So do you know why the Torah says you? So the reason is, for some reason, which we're going to get to in a minute, Moshe's name is mysteriously missing from this entire Torah portion. She, he's missing. His name is missing. Now, okay, you may think, okay, what's the big deal? Well, since Moshe was introduced in Parashat Shemos, which was a couple of months ago, Moshe's name is not missing in any Torah portion until he dies, which is the last Torah portion. So Moshe Rabbeinu's name appears in every single um, um, Torah reading that we read for around nine months straight until, or even more, until he dies. And this is the only one that his name is missing. So it's of great significance that his name disappears. Okay? So Ve'ata and you Moshe, not like every other um, um, piece of the Torah starts with. It's, and you, Tetzavet command, as B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish people, the Yikhu, and take, Eilecha. And now you shall command the children of Israel that they shall take Eilecha. Eilecha is translated as they shall take for you. Clear olive oil crushed shemen zay zach kasis lamar. Clear, beautiful, pure olive oil for the menorah. Okay. <coughs> uh, so the, the the first question that would would jump out at us is why is it for Moshe? Why is it taking it for Moshe? Shouldn't it be for Aaron? Wasn't Aaron the one that was lighting the menorah? He was the coin battle. He was the high priest. And like, where did Moshe fit into this? Okay, that's a question. Okay. In order to discuss this question and try to resolve it, we're going to have to get some background information. Okay. Let's go back to the Urim and Tumim. There's some two parts of the Urim and Tumim. There's the Urim, lights, and Tumim. What's the two parts? So the commentaries explain that um, the lights weren't so simple. It wasn't like you ask the question to, to Google and spat out an answer. Not quite how it worked. But the way it worked was like this. You asked it a question, and different letters corresponding from the different names of the of the Shvatim, 
which were all spelled out. So Reuven and Shimon Levi, different letters in a completely scrambled order, lit up. And then it was the Kohen Gadol's job, or his or the mission, I guess, to decipher them and to unscramble them to figure out what the word meant. Mm -hmm. Simple? Still not so simple. Because what happens if the letters spelled out different, multiple words? Right? So the Kohen Gadol had to have a special level of Ruach HaKodesh, of, I wouldn't call it prophecy, but a divine wisdom, to be able to understand and recognize which word was the correct word and which word was the incorrect word. This was the Tumim part. That it was, it was a, a deep understanding uh, to recognize what the letters actually spelled out. And then we'll get to, hopefully, we'll get to an example, a very clear case in point um, later on in the class. Okay. The question is, okay, very good. What was Aaron, the Kohen Gadol, etc., for generations, what was he doing? I'm answering questions about going to war and the Jewish people and at large. Like, wouldn't that be the, the king's job or the some sort of minister's job or or perhaps the Navi, the prophet's job? What's going on here with the the Kohen Gadol getting this job? Why does the Kohen Gadol have this job? Why is he, he the one who is is this? And furthermore, what's the 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 what's the the key to the deciphering the words? What was it that the Kohen Gadol had, which um I guess spiritual power did he possess that allowed him to decipher the words correctly? It's the third question. The first question we said was why was it to you and the second question was why was he um why did he get the job of the Urmitumim of deciphering it and telling the and getting the questions that for the great great questions for the that um that that um that the for the Jewish people and the third question was what was the actual power that he had where did he get that from to be able to decipher the question. Okay. Now, as an aside, as an aside, um, there are uh, a number of answers to the question of why the Torah says "Avichu Elacha" to you. And again, this is very, very parenthetically, but it's a beautiful thought. It's a beautiful answer I wanted to share with you. The Orachayim Hakadosh, the Holy Orachayim, explains. The reason for Elach like this. Beautiful thought. The Torah, is, the, the, there is a, there is a, there is a Gemara, Talmud, in Tractate Shabbos, Masada Shabbos, Daf Chaf Beis, page 22. It says like this. The Torah says, Mechutza, Parochas Ha'edos, from outside of the Parochas, of the curtain Ha'edos, of testimony. So the Gemara says, what was the testimony? What was the testimony? It was a testimony for all of the people of the world, that the divine presence of God, rested on the Jewish people. My Edos, what was the Edos? What was the testimony? Amarav, 
says Rav, Ner Maharavi. The, um, I was getting confused, the Western, the Mara of the Western Lamp. The Western Lamp was a special miracle. It stayed lit 24-7. In fact, the Korangoto had to relight it to, to be Yodze, to, to, to uh, fulfill the obligation for the next night. He actually had to actually blow it out and rekindle it the next day. It was a special miracle to show that God was was rested in the in the in the temple in the base of Mikdash 24-7. So the late the late Sunni Hadar, the scoffers the of the generation, they scoffed and they said, Moshe, are you expecting us to believe this is the Jewish scoffers? Are you expecting us to believe that God would rest on a building that was created by man, by a human being, by a mortal human being? Even if it was Moshe, who was very holy, but human he was. Are you expecting us to believe that that you that 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 God's gonna rest there? So Hashem says, tells Moshe, I'm gonna give you a sign. You're gonna show them Nerimaravi, this western land. Which of the menorah, which is going to stay lit 24-7, this is going to be a sign that your nevuah, your prophecy, that God is going to come down and rest on the temple, in the temple, this is the prophecy, that this is going to be a sign that the prophecy is correct and accurate. So one of the reasons why we have this menorah and the oil in the menorah is why? As a sign that Moshe's prophecy that the God will rest in the temple is accurate. So now explains the Archaim beautifully. Beautiful answer. Yes. Why is it for you, for promotion? Why? Oh, now you understand Moshe. So that people should believe in you, believe in your prophecy. It's for you. Not only for you, obviously, but also for you. So you can show them this is the oil of testimony that will prove that God is resting his divine presence on the temple. That's the Archimedes Terence. Beautiful answer. So I felt like I had to share that with you. Okay, let's move on. So now we're going to talk about Rav Chaim Shmulevitz. Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, the famous um, yeshiva of the Mary Yeshiva. He was in the um, 1900s, passed away in the mid-70s, I believe. And he shares a whole different twist on this on this idea. So before we get into the general idea, um, before we get into the, the crux of the issue, we're going to go back and, and share two, one story, really, two parts of the story, which most of you are familiar with from the parish of previous parish of parish of most, but it very, very it ties into this week's parish very, very, very well. When Moshe was standing by the burning bush, God comes to him and he says, I want you to go to the Mitzrayim, to Egypt, and redeem the Jewish people. Then what does Moshe do? Moshe says, nah, I can't do it. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And he sits and haggles, so to speak. I don't know how you can imagine this, with God himself. For a week. What was his final argument? The final argument that almost won him. If it would have been true. It could have won him. 
he could have won the argument against God if it was true. What is the final argument? Final argument is he tells Moshe like he tells God like this. Sorry, I look at this. I should have put a little tissue in here. Uh, so Moshe tells Hashem like this. Um, I can't go because my brother, my older brother, Aaron, is going to be upset or jealous. And therefore, um, it's not right for me to take it from him. Can't find it. It's pretty sad. Um, so Hashem tells him. So ch chapter four is a verse. I'm sorry. Um. Anyways, I can't. I feel bad. I really, I really thought I knew what was. Okay, fine. Good. So I'm, I'm still human. I'm not God. Yeah. Never gonna be God. But at least you all know that I'm human. So it says that. It's so strange. I don't know. I don't know if it was worth waiting. Either way, it goes like this. Okay. <clears throat> he says, "What? Well, how does Hashem respond to Moshe?" Hashem responds to Moshe like this: "Vayichar af Hashem b'Moshe," and God got angry with Moshe, with Moshe himself. But Yomer he says, "Hello, Aharon Achicha Halevi." Your brother, um, Aaron the Levi, Yodati, Kidabra Yadabra, who, but Gam, who, Nights of the Kresacha, 
that your brother Aaron knows, and he himself is actually on his way coming to greet you, coming towards you to greet you. The Ruacha the Samach and he is happy in his heart. He is thrilled about your role. So Moshe says, My brother is going to be upset and he's jealous of me. He's not going to take it lightly. And God says, Actually, you are wrong. Your brother is coming towards you. He is thrilled. He's excited. Totally elated to have you be the leader. Okay. So that's step number one. So Aaron was very, very happy and excited that Moshe was going to be in charge. He was completely excited. Now, the Torah, the, the Gemara tells us something very interesting. We don't find any clear punishment for the fact that our Moshe was getting upset with with uh, with Hashem. I'm sorry, Hashem was getting upset with Moshe. We don't find any clear punishment. But the Gemara says, and there's a whole uh, discussion in the Talmud about this. But the Gemara basically says that there's no such thing as God getting upset with someone explicitly in the Torah without repercussions. So the Torah says, mm-hmm. there's clearly a punishment somewhere. Mm-hmm. So they have a little bit of a discussion, and basically the punishment, the Gemara ends up saying, what was the punishment? Punishment was, that really, Moshe was supposed to be the Kohen Gadol as well. He was supposed to be the leader and the Kohen Gadol. Because he had this whole back and forth with Hashem, and he got Hashem angry, he lost the Kahuna Gadol. He lost the Kohen Gadol. He was a Nazi, he was the greatest person, but he lost the Kahuna. Okay. Let's fast forward. Why did Moshe's name go missing in this week's parasha? That was one of the questions we asked before. Yeah. Isn't okay. this the one where he got upset and said, if you don't do this, I'm... Ta- I'm- Very good. So I'm going to read you a term. I wasn't going to read it inside. But since Leslie mentioned the other half of it, so I'll read the whole thing inside. The Balaturim, one of the big commentators on the on the Chumash. I um, only mentioned it because I remember it being said. Maybe last year. No, no, originally. So I'll tell you like this. I'll read it like this. Thanks, Vivian. Thanks, Vivian. Yeah, Vivian smiled. She got it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It says like this. I'm in the wrong version. Okay. It says like this. Why is Moshe's name missing? So he gives you, he gives two, he gives two explanations, which can really be one if you if they can segue into each other. The first explanation is like this. When he says by the sin of the golden calf, which is out of order, it's next week's Torah reading, but it happened before, chronologically it happened before this. Um, it says he, God wants to destroy the Jewish people. And Moshe says, if you destroy the Jewish people, eradicate my name or erase my name from your Torah. 
and the Zohar says, and the Gemara says that the kilalas chacham afinu al the curse of a chacham of a of a tzaddik happens. It if it, it, it's fulfilled, so to speak, even if the the, the um the tenai the uh, uh um, what's tenai in English the the the, the caveat what did I say tenai in English the even if the not the right word if I I say if I do such and such then this thing shall happen so even if I don't do it the curse will still happen if I'm a very very special person. Because Hashem doesn't take the words of a tzaddik lightly. Every word that comes mm-hmm. out of a tzaddik's mouth is is very precious to a to Hashem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even if it's even if he doesn't, we find this other places also. We find this by Yaakov and and Rachel when when Rachel took the the idols from Lavan. Um, Yaakov says whoever took them should should die, and he didn't realize that she took it. And obviously, he didn't mean it to fall on her. But we found that we find that she died early. She died young in childbirth. Either way, so even though Hashem did not destroy the Jewish people, and Hashem did not do that because he accepted the argument, we still find that Hashem in some way erased his name. From where? From this week's Torah portion. Why this week's Torah portion? Well, let's read on. Zua parasha, this parasha, Midabaras betachsise kahuna, talks about all of the different vest- vestments of kahuna. It's really the Kahuna Gadola was supposed to come out of who, like we just said before, it was supposed to come out of Moshe. What happened? Because he tried to, to argue with Hashem. Hashem gave the Kahuna to who? To Aaron. Therefore, as if in order to not add insult to injury, so to speak, Hashem says, I'll choose this Torah reading to take his name out. So every time we talk about our and our and our, it's not and Moshe told our and Moshe told our and Moshe told. Okay. So now we're getting a little bit of a, of a picture. So Moshe is supposed to be the Kohen Gadol. He's not the Kohen Gadol. That's why this week's story reading has his name missing because it's a little bit of a of a uh, slap in the face, so to speak. So we kind of ease it out. Yet, yet we find. That Aaron was completely thrilled with Moshe being in, in charge. And soon we're going to see that Moshe was also thrilled that Aaron took over his role. How do we know? Two stories. One story goes like this. You know, I don't know if we're going to have time to share both. I'm just going to skip one of them. The other story, or the first story, the only story, is like this. The next week's power is next week's story. Reading. What happens with the eagle? The eagle is brought, the golden calf. And Hashem says, I want to, anyone who sinned with a golden calf is going to take away the priesthood. So at that time, all of the firstborns were the ones who were supposed to have connection to the to the Mishkan, to the Mishkan, the temple, to the service. And Hashem says, we're going to take it away from them all. And we're going to give it to who? We're going to give it to the Kohanim. Why the Kohanim? The, the Sheva Levi, the tribe of Levi, they stayed away. They didn't do the. They didn't have any connection to the sin of the golden calf. Which Kohen, which Levi did have something to do with it? We talked about this last year, and and, and it's a whole discussion. But just for for this week's um, 
Parsha, which lady, which lady had something to do with it? Aaron himself. Aaron, whatever his 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 um his uh pure intentions were, he had something to do with the sin of the golden calf. Hashem says, Aaron had something to do with it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. He, he can't be a coin. He's going to be out of the kuna, and we're going to give it back to who? I don't know, but perhaps back to Moshe. Or maybe to someone else. And then what happens? Moshe davens and davens and davens and prays again and again and again until finally Hashem listens to his prayer. And what happens is Hashem forgives him and gives, lets Harun be the Kohen Gadol. Keep his role. Now, let's think about, for, about it for a moment. Imagine you had it, were punished. And imagine you had to give up your lofty position as CEO of a Fortune 5, S&P 500 company. Or whatever. And who did you give it to? You gave it to your brother. Your younger brother. And imagine there was an opportunity where he would lose the position for some random misdeed that he did for whatever reason. And it would go back to you. Or something like that. Right? And you had the power to go and cry and use up all your brownie points and, and beg for him to keep his position. That would be a very, very difficult um, decision for us to make. Because, you know, like, this is my job. This is my position. He may stole it from me. Yet we find that Moshe, none, none of that happened to him. These brothers were in complete love. They were completely locked in with each other. They both had complete compassion for each other. They both felt like each other were, they were one and the same. In fact, there's a, there's a Pasuk in Tehillim in, in uh, chapter 133, verses 1 and 2. It says, um, how beautiful and wonderful and 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 peaceful it is, or Nam is pleasant or something like that. It is Shabbos Achim Gamyachad, the two brothers that live together peacefully together. Kishemen Hatayim, like beautiful oil. Al Harosh Yerid Al Zaken that streamed down the to the beard. Zaken Aaron, the beard of Aaron. She Yerid Al Pimidaisa that he went over his he 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 went over over his his. He conquered his his meters, his his um, character traits. So the, the commentators right away say, why is it with Zucking, Zucking twice, the beard twice? He's telling us, the tale is telling us that there was two beards. One was the beard of Moshe, one was the beard of Aaron. When Moshe anointed Aaron, it was as if the oil dripped down. It was as if it dripped down from his own beard. That's how happy he was. That's how it was one. He was so close to his brother. These brothers were so close to each other. They felt each other's pain together and they felt each other's triumphs together. And there was absolutely zero jealousy going on. They were in complete sync with each other. And we find that Moshe had that to Aaron. And as we saw in the beginning, Aaron had it to Moshe. Now that explains um, most of our troubles. Now we have to go back to the real perplexing question which we asked which was Elacha. What does Elacha mean? Now we can explain Elacha. Moshe and Aaron were so close to each other. They were so connected. They were so one that when Moshe anointed Aaron and it's the oil dripped out of it, it was as if it dripped down. Who's doing it? it was as if 
it dripped down Moshe's beard himself. Now, take the oil for who? For Aaron. Of course, Aaron's going to be the one lighting the menorah. But they were so close to each other. It was as if he was lighting the menorah. Who's taking the oil? Me. Hashem was telling Moshe, take it for yourself because you and Aaron are one and the same. That's how close they were to each other. And now, to answer the last question, which we didn't tie in yet, what was the Urim Batumim? Urim Batumim, the, the Urim was, was, was powered by the special um, um, parchment that had Hashem's name written on it. But how did the Kohen get this level of almost prophecy? So there's an interesting story. This is a very famous story with Chana. Chana was one of the um, great um, women of Tanakh, and she was the mother of Shmuel, Shmuel's mother. She was an Akara. She wasn't able to have any children. And she was very distraught. She was davening in the, by the temple, by the base of Mikdash, in front of the Kohen Gonel. The Kohen Gonel's name was Elia Kohen. And there was, she was davening and davening and davening, and she was doing something very interesting. She was davening quietly, the way we daven, Shmona Esmer, the way we daven, the Amida. Now, until her, everyone davened loud, like screaming, like we do perhaps the rest of the davening. We daven out loud. We, we usually put in our heart and soul. But she was davening quiet. And the Kohengal was not sure what was going on. So the Kohengal asked the Urim Vitumim, what's the story with this woman? And the Urim Vitumim spelled out four letters. Shin, Chaf, or Kaf, Resh, and Hey. Four letters. And Eli Cohen read it, and you read the positive. Um, Eli Cohen read it. This is in Shmuel Aleph. I'm just going to get the place in Shmuel Aleph. So it's right in the beginning of Shmuel. And it's in chapter 1, verse 15. Chapter 1, verse verse 15. So it goes like this. Yeah. By Yomar Eila, Eli tells her, Ad Masai Tish. Until when will you be a drunkard? Get rid of the wine and, and from, from yourself. Okay, that's the literal definition of the words. But Tan responds, but Tomer, lo, I don't know. Isha Kishas Ruach I am a woman of broken spirit. I didn't translate in English. I'm a woman of aggravated, I'm sorry, aggrieved spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, and I have poured out my soul before Hashem. Do not deem your main term in a base woman, for it is out of much grievance and anger that I have spoken and done that. Okay? And Eli agrees with her. The question is like this. The question is like this. What happened? So Rahi says, he asked the Shem of he asked the name, he asked Hashem, and it came up. Shikora, Shinchaf, Reish Hei, Shikora. She is a shikar. She's a drunkard. And that's how she was. he responded to her. And you know what she says? No, you don't understand me. 
you missed something. It doesn't work, Shiko. You spelled it out of order. It's Kaf Shin Reish Hey, which can spell either Kishera, a kosher woman, or Kit like Sarah. I'm I, I I'm a broken-hearted woman. I didn't have any children. I don't have any children like Sarah, our for our our, our matriarch Sarah. So he read it wrong. And he's telling her, well, you read it wrong. You know why you read it wrong? Because you didn't understand me. You didn't understand. You weren't looking, you weren't paying attention to my plight. You weren't recognizing my pain. You didn't feel my pain. You didn't see me. If you would have seen me, you would have been obvious to you that I wasn't drunk. Rather, I was a a broken-hearted woman. Now we can go back and see. So what was the mistake? The mistake was he wasn't able to really feel for some reason. Again, Elia Cohen was a huge solid, but for some reason at that moment, he wasn't able to feel her pain. He wasn't able to see her pain, get it clear. So what happened? He read it wrong. He wasn't able to, to read it right. So what was the power? The power that the Cohen Gunnel had that gave him the ability to be able to read the unscrambled letters properly was the ability to be one with someone else, to feel someone else's pain as if it's your own. That, says Rav is the key to the Ur Matumim. Now we can explain and understand why Aaron was chosen for the job. Who was Aaron? Aaron, like we said before, was able to feel his brother, his brother's triumphs as if it was his own, and there was no shred of self mixed into the equation. It was all someone else. It was all motion. It was completely motion. Even though we think that maybe it's harder to feel someone's pain and to feel someone's triumph, but um, the truth is in the pudding. And if you look around, uh, you'll notice that you'll get a lot more sympathetic people by a tragedy than you'll get people who are excited for other people's um, things. Because at the end of the day, there's a jealousy mix. And when a person um, suffers a tragedy, when a person loses a parent or something else, uh, different tragedies, people sympathize with you because they feel, they feel maybe they may not feel your pain like your own, like their own pain. But when someone has a simcha, all of a sudden you get a little bit of a jealousy here, a little bit of, a, of a different things that come on. It's much more difficult to genuinely feel someone else's excitement as if it was your own. And we see that by motion, Aaron, they were able to feel each other's excitement as if it was their own and all the most was someone's pain. And that's why Aaron was chosen for the job. And that's why it was specifically the Kohen Gadol, which is a descendant of Aaron, that was chosen to be the one to be able to read the Urim and Why? Because we needed this media, this character trait of being able to read and see someone else's pain. That was the key to be able to decipher the Urim I'm sorry, I don't have a clock on me, so I'm all over that. I just looked at the phone. Now it's over that. So we're going to stop right here, even though I think... I think we did a good job. Okay, fine. We'll stop right here. And I'm going to stop the recording.